Well, with regards to deals and customer experience, I think there's a crucial tie-in. And I would say to anybody looking to partner up with another company or invest or even buy out another company is beyond the books and beyond the corporate culture, you really got to look at their customers, not just as a market, but really as a group of individuals. Do they love that company? Has this company won the hearts and minds of its market? Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out-of-the-box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest Podcast. Let's get started. Mark Gordon is an internationally recognized thought leader in the field of customer experience. With over 25 years of marketing and sales experience in a number of diverse industries, he has built a reputation for providing insightful concepts that are both innovative and effective. As an award-winning keynote speaker, Mark has spoken for some of the world's most respected companies, including Bausch & Lomb, Hilton Hotels, and Mandela's International. Mark is the only speaker in this field who has, has keynoted at the World Management Forum in Tehran, Iran. Regularly featured on television and radio for his opinions, Mark has shared his thoughts on topics that include boycotting of brands, customer service in the airline industry, and companies such as Facebook and Starbucks. Mark has been referred to as Canada's marketing superstar by the Oprah Winfrey Network. Mark Gordon, welcome to the DealQuest podcast. Thanks, Corey. It is great to be here. So, Mark, I am so excited because, you know, a lot of what you talk about in in terms of customer experience and some of the other areas we're going to get into is, you know, in deals is such an overlooked area, uh, you know, on what really comes into everything that takes on a post-deal integration basis to have it truly be successful. Uh, but before we delve into that and some of the other stuff we're going to talk about, I want to take you back to when you were a little kid growing up, 8, 10, 12 years old. What did you want to be? Because my guess is, uh, you know, a customer experience expert was probably not it back then, but you tell me. No, it definitely wasn't, in fact. <laughs> like most kids, uh, when I was around that age, I think I initially wanted to be a fireman. Pretty cliche, but true. And then as I got a little bit older, I think when I, when I got bitten by the Star Wars bug, I think I definitely wanted to become the next George Lucas. That kind of took me, you know, through a number of my teen years. But, uh, you know, things have a way of changing and you end up sometimes in places you, you didn't expect to be or places you didn't even know existed. Yeah, that's great. And whatever, you know, uh, memory comes to mind, uh, Whatever you would define as your first deal or the first deal you did of any type, whether it's as a kid or as an adult that you can remember, what was your first deal? Wow. Well, you know what? I started my first company at the age of 16. I was uh, involved in, in amateur racing, uh, automotive racing. I wasn't that good a driver, but I found an opportunity to bring in parts and sell them to other drivers. So uh, my first deal was probably being able to score a distribution deal with some manufacturers because 
they all made it very clear that they didn't sell to the end user. They didn't sell to the public. And it took me a, a few phone calls before I realized that all I had to do was say, I'm a distributor, and then they'd sell to me. So my first deal was me just saying, hey, I'm a distributor. And they're like, okay, you're a distributor. What would you like to buy? <laughs> I love that. That's classic. That's awesome. So um, we addressed it a little bit in your bio, but uh, give people just a couple of minutes on what your core business is, what you do, and the types of clients that you work with. Well, I kind of wear two hats. On the one hand, I own a marketing agency, and I provide a lot of consulting and guidance for startups and uh, larger companies as well. But startups and small businesses are kind of my favorite. And um, we do everything for them with regards to, to giving them direction, guidance, consulting. We also do collateral such as web, print, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then on the flip side, I'm also a corporate speaker. So I'm out there a lot speaking to associations and organizations about how to deliver exceptional customer experiences. Love that. And I, and I guess like uh, myself and many of our other colleagues who are speakers, uh, you haven't been on many planes to do that live uh, lately, but uh, maybe you've done some virtual stuff. Huh? Yes, I am in the middle of transitioning to, uh, to virtual offerings and uh, it's, it's keeping me busy right now. But uh, what's interesting is the marketing part is, is really, really taken off lately because so many businesses are having to pivot in the way yes. they do business and the way they deliver their products and services. So I'm getting a lot of calls from companies going, you know, we need to go e-commerce now, or we need to market ourselves different. We need, instead of doing a personal outreach, now we need to do social media or email or whatever it is. So a lot of changes going on. And that's smart. You know, it's interesting because there's always this split between um, in, uh, you know, down economies, which a lot of people, you know, obviously we have our current issues and people feel like this may impact the economy for, for a little while going forward. Um, there's always a split between the companies that sort of just cut budgets on everything and then the ones that, you know, come from the philosophy of you got to reinvest, especially in marketing. I read an interesting study uh, recently, I don't know if you've seen it, from Harvard, where they uh, did a, the first detailed study that I'm aware of, at least uh, they say it was, on the uh, Great Recession 2008-2009 and which companies came out the best. And what they found was it was, a company, it was the companies that did some of both. They made some smart strategic cuts, but they also then reinvested, and especially on the marketing side. Very true. And that situation has been repeated over and over in all kinds of downturns. They say, whenever things get rough, whenever the market goes through a downturn, don't pull back too much on the marketing. You know, obviously, you're gonna have to pull back a little bit. You're working with limited funds, but, but don't crawl into a cave and pretend that you know, the world isn't there because people will forget you. Yeah. And the, and the other thing is that, you know, you find coming out of uh, recessions and, and, you know, challenging markets that, you know, the herd sort of thins out a bit, right? Or maybe a lot, depending upon your industry. And, you know, if you are there and you've had a presence, then you really, those are the companies that really boom and do really well when things get better. Yeah. It's really about staying top of mind. And even when things are tough, you know, it's amazing. People are still spending money. You know, the market conditions have changed. But there's a lot of markets right now with everybody staying home that are thriving right now. Uh, home electronics, home furnishings, bathroom fixtures, home games, video games. There's a lot of markets now that are thriving because people are stuck at home. They've got nothing to do. So they're buying stuff to either occupy themselves or to fix up the house that they now have to spend 24 hours a day in. Yeah, it's very interesting because I have a good friend who has a, you know, two businesses. One of his businesses is not doing as well, uh, but the other business is super high-end audio, you know, different stuff uh, that he gets from all over the world. And that business is booming because mm -hmm. people are stuck home, so they want to have some, you know, they can't travel, they can't do all these other things. 
and they want to have, you know, obviously these are people who have some means, uh, you know, but they, and they're buying $10,000, you know, stereo systems. You know? Yeah, I know, I know. Who would have figured? Great. You know, let's tie this in a little bit, right? Because some people, when they think of deals, automatically see how something like customer experience or marketing, you know, can affect deals. And there's several ways that they certainly tie in. I mean, I alluded to one of them in the intro, uh, you know, about like post-deal integration. But talk to us a little bit about some of the ways that uh, what you do does affect various types of deals that companies do. Well, one thing I've sort of gone into more over the last couple of years is, is what I've referred to as corporate staging. And it's interesting in the fact that you'll have a company that either is looking for opportunities to merge with another company, or they're looking to be bought out or get uh, some, some venture capitalist money. And they've got a great product or service. The numbers are good. The problem is the way they present themselves, their brand identity, be it offline or online, might be a total disaster. And we live in a world now where when you hear a company's name mentioned, the first thing you do is you Google them. You go online, you check them out, and you see their website, and you think to yourself, wow, this company is really something. They are like thought leaders, they're innovators. Or you look at them and go, how long have these guys been in business? Did these guys just open up yesterday or something? It's ridiculous. And that will have an impact on your perception of the company, even if you're a VC and you're looking at the numbers and you're looking at market share, things make sense. There's going to be that, that feeling in the pit of your stomach, that gut. And so many deals, right, are still, you know, it's your gut feeling that still influences your decision to a degree. And you got to wonder, why do these companies look so unprofessional? So what's happening is these companies are starting to realize this, that they spent the last two or three years so focused on creating that product or service that they totally left all kinds of, of marketing and branding and everything else just kind of fall by the wayside. And now they realize that they're, they're walking into a formal affair wearing jeans and a t-shirt when they should be wearing a tuxedo. So they're calling me saying, you know what? We need you to polish us up. We need you to make us look like the company that we want to be or that we believe we should be. So that seems to be a, a big thing right now I'm finding is you're getting smaller companies who don't want to look small. They want to look established. They want to look strong. They want to look like they, they own and dominate their market. And they just need a little bit of help doing that. So that's, it's, it's a nice trend that they're getting this awareness. I just wish they would give me a little more time to get them <laughs> together. <laughs> you mean, uh, you, mean uh, you have those clients too where, uh, you know, when do you need it? Yesterday? Yesterday, exactly. Yeah, you'll say, oh, we can have this done in a month. They'll say, I'll give you two days. <laughs> yeah, it's like a Star Trek episode, you know, when, when he says to Scotty, how long do you need? And Scotty says, you know, a day. He says, I'll give you an hour. Right, right. And, and Scotty would always say, no, it's impossible, Captain. And, but then he would always pull it off, right? He would always pull it off, exactly. <laughs> um, it's interesting. I, I can really validate that in that, you know, it, it affects a couple areas and I've seen it. You know, I've done so many deals, whether it's M&A or strategic alliances, joint ventures, or you name it, that there's two places where I definitely see it, you know, come in. You know, one of the things I always say to people is the people involved in a deal, like, the, you know, and maybe it's the CEO or some other, you know, head of acquisitions or whatever, who's making the initial decision to do the deal. But then you have a bunch of people who come in, the finance people, the, the branding people, the marketing people internally at an acquirer, for example, and they look at, you know, what's there. And everybody, you know, to some extent, there are some of those people who are always looking for a reason not to do the deal because they're always afraid if they do a deal and something goes wrong, they're going to be blamed. So, um, you know, if your branding is not up to date, at, you know, at a minimum, you know, that could be a, you know, the branding people come in and do the due diligence, come in and say, hmm, you know, a lot of work here to do. These guys aren't, you know, so 
And then the other thing I've seen is in negotiations, you know, which I do a lot of, you know, in valuation. Uh, the buyer, for example, if it's an M&A deal, is always looking for reasons to chip down on the valuation. And I've certainly heard them say, well, listen, your branding is totally outdated. We're going to have to spend a lot of money to update that. We got to take that into account in terms of the number we're offering. Yep, exactly. And you touched on something earlier that was also really interesting, and that being company culture. And a website is a great way for a company to illustrate its company culture. So does it want to be a, a budget-minded company? Does it want to be a forward-thinking company? Does it want to be a young, dynamic company? These are all things that it can say through its website. And when done properly, it can, it can be absolutely targeted. It can be crystal clear. So if they want to position themselves as a very young, aggressive, dynamic company, very tech-oriented, they can say that very clearly and attract the kinds of VCs or other opportunities that would be attracted to that kind of company. Yeah, no question. And, and you and I were talking a little bit in the, you know, prior to the podcast about the fact that, uh, that obviously they've got to be able to back it up, underlying it, you know, else it's going to come out. But, you know, if they truly have that there, but it's not properly presented, then they've got a problem. They, you know, you can't fake it, but a lot, of, a lot of them have it, but they don't present it well, right? Absolutely. And I've always said this to every client I've ever worked with is you have to have your ducks in a row to start with. You have to have the product, the service, you have to have that quality support. You have to have a great team. If things are weak on the inside, you know, you're just, you know what you're doing? You're basically icing a stale cake. That, that's what it is. And, uh, you know, I, I tell my clients this all the time. I use this analogy that they're the cake, but what I do, I'm the icing, I'm the frosting. And when you go to a bakery, when you buy a cake, you don't look at the cake inside. You look at the frosting. Right. Right. That's, That's what, and, and, but if the cake's good, everything's fantastic. If the cake is awful then things go downhill from there. So I say to them, you know, you're the cake, everything's got to be good. Everything's got to be perfect. Everything's got to be working just right. And then at that point we can, you know, have some fun with the appearance. Yeah. That, that's such a great metaphor. It really illustrates it well. Let's take a break from the show for a minute. So I can invite you to join our DealQuest DealMakers community and our upcoming Zoom event, conversation, connection, and cocktails. We're doing this every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern time, and you can sign up at coreycupfer.com slash CCC event. That's coreycupfer.com slash CCC event. You'll have a chance to engage with other business owners, leaders, and executives to hear more from them about their greatest challenges and most effective strategies for growth in these challenging times. Now back to the show. Um, so talk to us a little bit, you know, one of the areas that you're really known for is customer experience. And, you know, obviously, um, marketing plays a role in that. But it seems like to me, that's a broader conversation than just, you know, redoing somebody's website, right? So let's talk about what goes into customer experience. Well, customer experience is essentially, and it, well, let me back it up a little bit. A lot of people or a lot of companies, I think, don't really understand or appreciate the concept of customer experience. And a lot of them even confuse terms like customer experience and customer service. Mm. And let me just start by saying that customer experience, number one, is the most impactful interaction that a company can have that builds loyalty and attracts new business. It is more influential than price, product, or quality. All right? That being, for example, we'll, we'll look at restaurants, let's say. All right? You go to a McDonald's. All right? Maybe not the highest quality food out there. Maybe not 
the best food with regards to nutrition. But you know exactly what you're going to get. You know how it's going to be delivered. You know how it's going to look and how it's going to taste. You know how it's going to be presented. And that in itself can create the best customer experience. You're not let down. You're, you know, you're, you're very happy with what you get. And this is why they're the largest fast food chain in the world because they've nailed it. They've created exceptional experiences. So companies need to understand that the, the customer experience they deliver, it's more than just marketing. It's more than just you know, customer service. It's more than tech support. It's the culmination of all of these things. From the time that the customer calls you and, and, and inquires about you know, whatever it is you're selling to the time that they've bought the product or service and they're walking away, what's the, what's the post-sale support? Every time they have some kind of contact with your company, that contributes to the overall experience. So when, when companies are doing a deal together, it's interesting to me because there's so much due diligence that needs to be done. And people think about the financial due diligence and the legal due diligence. And obviously, you know, I, I get involved in, you know, in a lot of that stuff on the business legal, you know, mainly legal side, you know, and, and, and working with the accountants on the financial side. But, you know, doing customer experience due diligence to see, you know, if you're going to merge with another company, acquire another company, or even enter into some sort of joint uh, marketing or strategic alliance or joint venture, you know, that seems crucial. So what would be some of the things that a company should look out for in terms of evaluating somebody else's customer experience versus their own? That's a great question. And, and one that's very important, one of the key metrics to look at is repeat business. Mm. Um, you know, are they getting like, you look at the sales and they're doing, let's say, 10 million a year in sales, but how much of that is repeat business? You know, is everybody buying their product once and then going elsewhere and they just keep getting more and more people buying that product once, but nobody's coming back? Because if that's the case, you know, eventually the well is going to run dry. Or, for example, the opposite, they've got maybe a very small group of customers, but they are fanatically loyal and they just, keep buying and buying. They, they won't go anywhere else. They're like addicted to, to this company and its products. These are important things to look at. And then if you want to dive a little deeper into that, the second part of that question would be those that are buying, are they buying because they want to or because they have to or because there's no alternative? All right? Maybe this company sells something that's so unique so special that people are buying whatever it is they're selling. But the fact is nobody's really happy. They're saying, yeah, you know what? I buy this product from this company because there's nowhere else to go. That tells me that all you need is to have a competitor open up down the street or even across the country. And this business is going to leave them because the bar is so low. You know, all you have to do is just, have something equally as good and treat your customers a little bit better and everyone will come to you. Everyone will leave that company. So you got to really find out what's motivating the customers to, to either buy or continue buying. Yeah. I, th I think those are all great points. Uh, you know, you, you don't want to be the U S uh, post office when FedEx comes in, uh, you know, because <laughs> exactly. that's a great example in my mind, right. Of people who are, you know, uh, had the satisfaction with the service and they didn't innovate. Now, obviously that's a, semi-governmental kind of situation, but it happens in private industry as well. 
And the other thing you don't want to be, and I, I was in a, uh, I won't get too into my past, but I was in a business relationship where uh, on the other side, you know, I, I always called it a fire hose into a leaky bucket. You know, they were able to produce so much new business, but so much of it went, went out the back end because of service issues and turnover and that kind of stuff that, uh, you know, eventually people catch on and they stop referring because of the dissatisfaction of, you know, of the experience. Absolutely. I mean, you can look at these examples everywhere. A great one is Blockbuster, yeah. you know, who, who dominated the video rental market and they dominated it because there really wasn't a lot of alternatives. So people would go and it was just, you know, if you wanted to watch a movie, you went to Blockbuster. There wasn't a lot of option. And then along comes Netflix and now there is an option. And, you know, people thought that, or people at Blockbuster thought that all their customers were buying from them because it was such a great experience because they were, you know, giving people exactly what they wanted, but they didn't realize it until something better came along that nobody liked the experience. Right. They liked it better than the, the corner, uh, you know, uh, single uh, location video store that only had one copy of each uh, and was always out of it. And, you know, you had to wait on the long line because they provided a slightly better customer experience than that. But it was that wasn't a high standard, you know. That that was when that was their only competitor. They were okay. That's right. So you had really low standards with the independents. You had relatively low standards with Blockbuster, and then along comes Netflix, which just raises the bar beyond anything out there and totally changes the industry. And Blockbuster chose to to stick with what they were doing because you know the numbers made sense for them in the short term, and they they. You know, they wouldn't even waive late fees. There were no late fees with Netflix, but Blockbuster was making 12% of their revenue through late fees. Why would they give that up? Right, yeah, and there's there's so many examples like that, right? You know, bookstores and Amazon. uh, Kodak, yeah. And and, and so let's, uh, uh, you know, I think this is an interesting time to talk about this. I mean, uh, you know, uh, your episode's going to air late May. I, You know, we're still going to be, I'm sure, feeling the effects in various ways of the COVID-19 thing. One of the things I find in crises and in down markets is that some of this stuff gets exposed even more so, right? You know, when, when the market's great, there's a lot more room for people who, are, who have more mediocre companies on all levels, whether it's their marketing, whether it's their financial controls, whether it's their, you know, customer experience. But when things get more challenging, that's when there's usually a weed out. So any thoughts that you have on, you know, what you think the impact's going to be of uh, the current, uh, you know, crisis and its impact on the economy on, on you know, some interesting and what companies can watch out for to help avoid, uh, you know, come out strong from it? That's a really interesting observation. What's interesting about what we're going through now relative to previous recessions or, down, or market downturns is this one is, is actually government implemented. So you've got governments stating who can remain open, right. who has to close, and to what degree these businesses can stay open. So you're getting businesses in some industries, like perhaps uh, the food industry, which are still open, still functioning, but at a reduced rate, at reduced income. But you know, are, are, they, are they surviving? Maybe, maybe not. It depends on how solid their, their business foundation is, how solid they are financially, as well as how much market share they have. If their market share is going to drop by 50, 50%, well, 50% of a huge number, maybe they can still survive, but it's 50% of a really small number. You know, that may not be enough to, to warrant even staying open. Uh, I think where we're going to see that separation between businesses that really have it together and businesses that don't 
is when things return to normal, when we can, you know, just have it as it was. That's when I think you're going to see the businesses that have the attitude of, look, you know what, it's, it's been really rough. We're tight on money. We're, we, we had to lay off a lot of our staff. We're operating, you know, really skinny right now. We're in the red. But you know what? We want our customers to know we never stopped appreciating them. We never stopped valuing them. And we want them to know we are more than ready to take care of them as well as we always have. And then you may end up with other businesses that say, you know what? We're operating in the red. Things are really rough. We've had to lay off a lot of our, our support teams and our tech support teams and our sales teams. The service we provide, it's not going to be anywhere what it was. But you know what? We'll, we'll make it anyway. People will be okay with that. And the big question is, will people be okay with that? Yeah, and, and, and where will, I mean, I'm a, certainly a believer. So the, the example you gave before of a competitor coming in, you know, to a, a company that is uh, assuming that they're doing well enough and, and the truth is they're the only uh, real option. You know, I always believe that in, a, you know, in, in the entrepreneurial world and, you know, the free market system has gotten very loaded these days politically. So I, uh, I don't, you know, I only use it, I don't use it in the political terms, but, you know, in the entrepreneurial world, I do believe that, you know, it may take some time, but there's always going to be someone who's going to see a hole in that, in the market or an opportunity to provide things in a better way than, than a stagnant company. Absolutely. And there's always room for innovation. And I'm sure as we speak, you know, like right, like right now it is, it is April, you know, things are tough, but I'm sure as we speak today and when this airs in May, you are going to see a flood of new business ideas that are hitting the market. People who are forced to either reposition themselves or realign their businesses or simply seek opportunities that either weren't there before or they never had to think of them. Things were fine. Things were moving along. And when we're all in that comfort zone, we don't really look for innovation or, or feel the need to innovate because it's, we're already succeeding. But when things get rough, that's when you have to pivot. So it'll be interesting to see how many businesses who did things one way you know, back in, in December or January, who today, as your listeners are hearing this, are still around but are doing things very different, not because the government is telling them to or because it's considered the, the socially acceptable way, but because they want to. They feel it's a better way to deliver a product or service. Yeah, no question about that. And, and listeners, you know, so, some of those companies are going to do that organically, meaning they're going to, you know, just pivot their business model and figure out how to repurpose their people and go in a different direction. And some of those are also going to do it. You know, this is why we actually see a lot of deals and in, in downturns. Some of them are going to say, oh, listen, uh, we want to go in this direction. But look, there's a small company over there that is a little further along the way than we are or a lot further along the way than we are in that particular area. And we, you know, we may have the customer base that's bigger that we can sell that to. And, you know, so instead of uh, uh, creating it from scratch, you know, they, they buy it or merge it or hire it or, you know, joint venture with it. So, you know, that's why actually there's usually sort of this low period in bad economies where people are figuring it out and there's fewer deals for a little while. But then what happens is, uh, you know, people start doing a lot of deals. At least, you know, there, there are a few companies that are doing it, but the companies that are doing it really get leverage out of doing, doing deals in bad economies. Absolutely. And, I, and I'm, I'm reminded of so many of these small to medium-sized companies that stopped producing whatever product or service they were and have now pivoted to making medical products. They're making yes. masks. They're making parts for ventilators. 
They're making gowns for frontline workers. And they weren't even in this industry prior. They might have been in the auto industry making auto parts, or they might have been in the technology industry making something else. And all of a sudden, they're making this medical stuff. And I'm hearing stories where the owners of these companies are realizing, wow, you know what? There's a lot of opportunity in the medical industry. And now they're, they're starting to realize maybe, maybe it's not worth it going back to making the widgets that we were before. Maybe, or perhaps taking what we learned from the medical industry and applying it to our current product line. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're seeing the world through a whole new set of lenses. And that's certainly an area that, you know, I think personally will, I mean, obviously you have this, you know, extreme need right now, but I think there's going to be an ongoing need because even after the crisis is over, I do think one of the shifts is going to be that, you know, national and state or province, you know, in, in Canada or local, you know, governments are, people are going to expect them to be better prepared than they were previously. And so, you know, there's the immediate need, but then there's going to be more, I think, prep and stockpiling. And I, and I frankly think private companies are probably going to be, you know, more likely uh, to stock up on supplies in case there's something, you know, going forward. I see that an area that's going to continue well past the crisis for a while to have a higher demand. Yeah, very, very possible. Very possible. Yeah. So, Mark, before we go to uh, out the last two pieces I, I want to do on the podcast here, you know, any last thoughts for people on uh, customer experience or marketing, uh, whether it relates to deals or whether it's just something in this key, you know, uh, strange times people should be thinking about? Well, with regards to deals and customer experience, I think there's a crucial tie-in. And I would say to anybody looking to partner up with another company or invest or even buy out another company is beyond the books and beyond the corporate culture, you really got to look at their customers, not just as a market, but really as a group of individuals. Do they love that company? Has this company won the hearts and minds of its market? And if so, how did it do it? Is it doing it through quality? Is it doing it through pricing? Is it doing it by creating an overall, all-enveloping experience? Because it's so easy to win over a market with price or to win over a market with quality. But you know what? Those things can always be replicated. Someone else can always sell for less. Someone else can always design a better product. The question is, is this company creating a unique relationship with its customers? That in itself almost makes the company worth more than what's just on the books. You know, because you've got, you've got a company here with a following. And you, you know, once you have a company with a following, you're up in the leagues of, of like Nike and Apple. I mean, where people are just passionate about your product and service. And I'll tell you, no amount of money can replace that. So I would say to any company selling or looking for investors, be aware of your true worth as a company and as an organization. Really understand that you've got something very special if you have customers who will you know, go to the ends of the earth to buy whatever it is you're selling. And if you're buying a company, I would say the flip side, hopefully, if you're buying or investing in a company, you better hope that those guys don't realize how great they've got it, if they are <laughs> treating their customers really well, because you know, you're going to be buying something very, very special that few people would recognize. And really, that, that would be my single piece of advice if you're buying or selling really understand the value of the relationship you have with your customers. Love that. That's such great advice. So Mark, if, if people uh, you know, want to find out more about what you do, reach out to you, uh, what's the best place for them to go? 
Uh, it's easy. They can just go online and visit my website at Mark Gordon. That's Mark with a C, by the way, markgordon.ca. And uh, they can check it out. And, and one thing I have that's really cool that all of your listeners are welcome to take advantage of is I have a 20-minute free consulting session for anybody who wants one. They can go through the website. There's a, a place to click, and they can just sign up for it, book a time, reach out to me. And, and it, there's no upselling. That's what's really cool about this. There's no selling. There's no hitch. There's no charge for 20 minutes. If they want to talk to me about customer experience, about marketing, about M&As, about deals, about branching out, new opportunities, whatever it is, I will give them whatever advice they're looking for. I will shoot from the hip. I will tell it to them straight based on my 25 years of doing this. It's a great opportunity. I've had companies literally do 180s after these, these sessions. They just turn things around just after 20 minutes. It's incredible. So I welcome all of your listeners to take me up on that offer. I love that, Mark. What a, what a generous offer. That's phenomenal, folks. Hey, listen, you know, I'm sure that you got value out of this, uh, this podcast, but to, you know, to get 20 minutes specifically on what's going on for you with Mark, definitely take him up on that. So, Mark, my final question on the podcast is, uh, you know, freedom is my highest ideal. And that relates for me towards everybody being free from oppression and bigger issues like that. But it's also the freedom, you know, it's the reason I'm an entrepreneur, right? It's the reason that I uh, half jokingly or maybe full you know, say I'm unemployable. Uh, you know, and so I'm curious as to what freedom means to you in your life and in your business and how you deal with uh, clients. Wow. You know, that's a, an unbelievable question. I've never been asked that ever. Good. And, and I have to say, I think, um, you know, freedom really means to me doing what makes you happy. Yeah. I mean, really at the end of the day, and if you're lucky enough to own your own business, even if you're not in a business that you love, and, I, and I'll be the first to admit, not everybody loves or is passionate about the business they're in. Not everybody who owns a business looks forward, you know, every morning for the next eight or 10 hours that they have to work. But you know what? Owning your own business gives you the ability to live a life outside of that, to do the things that do make you happy because you don't have to answer to anybody but you. And yeah. I think we live in a world now where, where happiness seems to be in short supply. And I would encourage anybody, all of your listeners, really, at the end of the day, you got to do what makes you happy because, you know, my belief is this, when that day comes when, you know, you're on your deathbed and, and you know, you're looking back over your life, you're never going to say to yourself, you know what, I'm so glad I didn't have that second slice of cheesecake. <laughs> so you know what, have it now. I love it. The second slice of cheesecake approach to living. <laughs> exactly. Mark Gordon, I so appreciate you coming on the Deal Quest podcast. Thank you. It has been a pleasure. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Deal Quest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. You can be a friend of the show by leaving a review on the Good Pods app, podchaser.com, or any major podcast player. Every review helps the show reach more listeners. If you're ready to take your deal-making to the next level by becoming a master negotiator, head over to Amazon or Audible and grab a copy of my best-selling book, Authentic Negotiating. Then connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know your thoughts. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.